This message comes from NPR sponsor, Lisa. When you buy a Lisa mattress, you're not the only one getting a better night's rest. Lisa donates thousands of mattresses each year to shelters and those in need. Learn more about Lisa at leesa.com. Taylor Swift's Eras Tour is on pace to become the biggest and most lucrative concert tour in history. Each night's show offers up a career-spanning three-hour epic with a sprawling set list that includes a nightly assortment of surprises. But what made the tour such a juggernaut this summer? I'm Stephen Thompson. Today we are talking about the Eras Tour on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Lisa. When you buy a Lisa mattress, you're not the only one getting a better night's rest. Lisa donates thousands of mattresses each year to shelters and those in need. Learn more about Lisa at leesa.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. Shop for your next car the convenient way, 100% online with Carvana. Getting pre-qualified takes less than two minutes. Then see your real terms as you shop. Visit Carvana to finance your dream car the convenient way. The news can feel incredibly overwhelming. For a breath of much-needed fresh air, head to NPR.org's culture section. From the buzzy movies, tiny desk, and artists that everyone seems to know about, type in NPR.org for the latest and greatest in the pop culture universe. Joining me today is NPR senior editor Bilal Qureshi. Hey, Bilal. Hey, Stephen. Also with us, Margaret H. Willison, communications manager of Not Sorry Productions. Hey, Margaret. Hi, Stephen. And rounding out our panel, Jordan Cruciola. She's a writer and producer and the host of the podcast Feeling Seen on Maximum <laughs> Fun. Hey, Jordan. And Swifty. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, your credentials also include... Swifty. <laughs> so there are lots of different metrics I could use to make a simple point. The Eras Tour is very big, and it has already been very lucrative. The first American leg wrapped up last month, and there are nearly a hundred more shows planned for all over the world, running well into next year. By the time it wraps up, it'll almost certainly be the biggest moneymaker in history as far as tours are concerned, which is saying nothing of the economic impact on each city where it's stopped. In many ways, this is a perfect time for Taylor Swift to take a victory lap. Her last scheduled tour to promote her album Lover had to be scrapped due to the COVID pandemic, so it's been five years since the last Taylor Swift tour. In that time, she's released four albums, and that's not even counting the three older albums she's re-recorded in that time, including Speak Now, which she released and promoted during this tour. And she announced on stage she's re-recorded her album 1989, and that will come out in October. If you missed the opportunity opportunity to see her in person on the Eras Tour, fear not, an Eras Tour concert film is coming to theaters in October. Basically, if you are a Taylor Swift fan, you are being super served. To talk Taylor Swift and the Eras Tour, we have assembled a crack assortment of Swifties, as well as the Swift Curious. Jordan Cruciola, I so often come to you for enthusiasm of so many stripes. <laughs> Where do you stand 
on Taylor Swift. And on a scale of one to 100 million, Mm -hmm. how excited were you to see her on the Eras tour? My level of Swiftiness is that I have a commissioned 24 by 36 painting of Taylor Swift that hangs above my bed. (laughs) Whoa. So 100 million is the answer to that question? I'm going to need you to text me a picture of that as soon as we're off air. Uh, I love it very much. Love it. And I had tickets to Loverfest. But that friend and I maintained our plan to see Taylor. So once Eras was announced, me and Angie were on, on the chat being like, we're doing this, right? And then I proceeded to not look up a single thing for the entire duration of the tour <laughs> to its final stops in L.A. So everything was a complete surprise to me, including that it was three hours long. <laughs> wow. Best surprise ever. So, like, obviously I knew, like, Haim popped up. It's like, oh, okay, they're there with her. And, like, they're playing Nobody, No Crime. But when we were on hour two and I was like, we have so so many eras left to discuss. I was like, how are we, is she just going to stop at a certain point? No, it was three hours. And I went back to back nights. So I had two days of six hours of Taylor Swift. Wow. That's like seeing Oppenheimer on back to back nights. Uh, Yeah, I Barbenheimered the Taylor tour. (laughs) All right, Margaret, same question for you. How excited were you to see her on this tour? Okay. I think to uh, like your average passerby on the street, I would be considered a Swifty. Like, I taught a class about Taylor Swift this summer in confessional writing. You know, I've written about her in a bunch of different places. I listen to her music a lot, and I really, really love a bunch of the albums, and I think that she's just, like, an incredibly fascinating figure. But as Jordan just so handily demonstrated, like, that does not make me a Swifty. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't even have her face tattooed onto your face. And I'm happy with that. I am happy to like stand on the sidelines and like let the Swifties explain to me wild fan theories. And I was very excited to go and see the show. (laughs) My experience of being at the show was even better than I could have anticipated. Mm. There's a lot of music uh, from her large career that like I did not understand until I heard it played live in a stadium. Chiefly the Reputation Era stuff. That was stuff that had kind of passed me by because I didn't really Mm. like any of the lead singles from that album. And you hear those things in a stadium and you're like, I get it now. This slaps. Oh, interesting. As any Swifty will tell you, the lead singles are never the albums. No, I know. I've learned this now. Just 2017 me wasn't informed. (laughs) Gotcha. All right. I have not seen the Eras tour, and I did not like the album Reputation. There you and go. now I feel like I've been robbed of the experience of enjoying it. <laughs> Bilal, you've been you've been quiet. Well, I mean, I, I'm just you know enjoying like hearing from the members of the parish. I mean, I I went as a Swift curious attendee. I have to now confess, and partly because anybody who's interested in culture, she has been obviously a figure in our culture for such a long time, and. I'm actually a very um, proud member of the Beehive, and I don't want to involve myself in the duel here, but I sure. felt like a stray bee that had like left the Beehive to go <laughs> buzz into this sort of stadium because I was very curious what was going on. And I live in L.A. Like when that tour, when the Eras tour came for the six-night residency to SoFi Stadium, which is insane, everywhere I went in my neighborhood, I heard somebody mentioning, do you have a ticket? This is happening. The other like hot take confession is that I did not have a ticket for this and was not involved in any Ooh. of the, um, until an hour before the show and I, I was like is there a resale ticket that may have like I don't know <laughs> dropped in price an hour before and it's completely impractical to drive to a football stadium yeah. um, across LA traffic with an hour's notice but that's what happened <laughs> so I found you know I was alone 
adult uh, male alone <laughs> sitting in the crowd, wow. feeling a little bit like out of, you know, I was going to be like spotted and exiled. And then <laughs> that was not what happened. It was an amazing concert. No, it's a big tent. It was a big tent. And I felt so included and uh, participatory. And I still uh, maybe accidentally and maybe not have my LED bracelet <laughs> that was handed out to all of us um, because I just felt like the inclusiveness of it and the big tent of it was really amazing. And other confession is I, I wasn't maybe as excited about the tour when I saw the visuals of it, which seemed, I don't know, a Technicolor, like Lisa Frank sort of vibe <laughs> to me at, at, the, at the beginning, which is fine. But I will say that like as a very big fan of the Folklore Evermore albums, I was very curious how she was going to relay that. And like you, Stephen, I was at the Tiny Desk concert at NPR a couple of years ago, was very much blown away by what she was doing. And then I think she brought that and she brought the Technicolor with it. So all of those multitudes in one show, that was a lot of show for last minute purchase. So I was very impressed and very served. What a cool experience. For someone who has five moves. <laughs> yeah. And like four of them are rhythmic walks. Yes. And they're, those are my favorite right. ones, the, the model walks. Yeah. I, I, am, I continue to be just bowled over what a captivating presence she is. For someone who doesn't move like Beyonce, for someone who doesn't sing like Beyonce, but is a generational storytelling and songwriting talent who truly manages to make the most intimate experience of a 50, 60,000 capacity arena. Oh, and I got to push back against the whole notion of stan culture where you have to pick one. You uh, have to be in the beehive or you have to be a Swifty and never the Twix shall meet. Like, we all contain multitudes. You can love multiple artists and you can experience two completely different kinds of stage shows, right? I think I bring that up partly because I just think that's been one of the, like, problematic narratives around her and I felt like and I and I think what's really impressive about her and I love that Miss Americana documentary on Netflix that came out a few years mm -hmm. ago because I do think and one of the things the tour does so well is addition to all the things that you were saying Jordan about what an amazing compelling presence she is in a 70,000 you know person stadium I also think she's so self-aware of all those narratives around her and I think the way that she was pitted against you know not only Beyonce but other kinds of music other kinds of stands and I had a lot of friends like messaging me like as if I had gone stray they were like you went to a Taylor Swift concert like there is a kind of tribalism around it that I think I myself felt like a desire to overcome because I think it's such a, a false choice you know and and yet there has been this narrative around her like oh she's kind of got this I think especially the the reputation era was like a big part of that she claims it right which is great I mean she comes out with this snake slithering and like the full <laughs> surround sound she marches in with that walk and then you know it's part of her multitudes and I, I think that's what I really like about what she's been doing these last few years. So there's been a lot of news coverage in kind of the last few months about disruptive fans at concerts. I wanted to get a sense of what you felt the vibe was among the fans in the crowd. Was the enthusiasm disruptive or was it more kind of communal? What, what was the feel? The two LA shows I was at, I did experience multiple people because I didn't have any bracelets the first night. And Swifties took pity on me and a woman just walked up to me while I was waiting in line for my chicken sandwich and she was like, here. And it was a red bracelet because I had my red tour tee on. And I was like, that's my favorite album. She was like, I knew it was for you. You have to explain the friendship bracelets, <laughs> yeah. like the, that whole culture. Yeah, the, yeah. Friendship, the friendship bracelets have been a uh, 
hang around like Taylor Swift sort of unifying fan item mm-hmm. since like Fearless Speak Now and Taylor used to wear a lot of friendship bracelets when she performed. Like that was something fans would mirror back and then like the trading of friendships became like a sort of community thing at a Swift concert and that came back for the Eras tour and it was really beautiful to see people like swapping their stuff around and to see the the costuming at the Eras tour was so phenomenal to see like which era did you pick but my favorite costuming choices were either the Junior Jewels reference to the Taylor Swift You You Belong Belong With with Me video video. because anybody can make that shirt. true. And also any Jake Gyllenhaal (laughs) t-shirts. Any Jake Gyllenhaal t-shirts were hilarious. The number of like Jake with like a caution X through him and like where's the (laughs) scarf Jake shirts. Like those to me were my favorite fan nods. My experience of the fan response was a lot like Jordan's where it was exclusively positive. I just had like such a strong emotional experience of being in a stadium with that many people and all of us connecting as deeply to the art as we were. That came up for me like a couple of times. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers was the opener at my show and she's a very popular artist, but like not on the stadium scale Mm -hmm. yet. And getting to see a whole stadium like Everybody came in and people were super engaged in her opening performance. And that was really emotional for me because that's something that I've kind of had beef with Taylor Swift with over the years is when she collaborates prominently. It's often been with male artists. Mm -hmm. And that's really changed in the last couple of albums. And it's so exciting to see. But like the moment above all others where you're like, wow, this is a church is when she starts playing the 10 minute version of All Too Well. And it's truly her guitar and sparkly cape, period. And the existence of that song in and of itself, right, is evidence of, like, the Swifty community. There have been rumors of the long version of All Too Well for years. <laughs> like, this was fabled. And to be in a stadium of, like, 55,000 people and just have all of us wrapped, singing along to that song and, like, We've all had situationships, right? <laughs> like, like you can hear the heartbreak behind it. And I was just like, what a cool space to be in. What a cool way to just see the career this woman has built for herself, right? By, like, just being unabashedly honest about her emotions, even when people keep telling her she should make them smaller. Mm. I mean, I will say that during that All Too Well performance, especially the new verses that were added in the longer we record that are particularly cutting mm-hmm. and brilliant, you know, the singing along was much louder than I've ever heard at any <laughs> concert. Like, people aren't just singing along to this. They are yeah, like... Yeah, they're like, they're like mm-hmm. howling in pain. They're howling in pain to it. And so the everybody around me of the, from the parents to the kids to like you know another guy who was next to me who was also kind of like should I be here um, felt <laughs> like they were, everybody kind of got wrapped up into it but I will say that the thing that was really remarkable was like 
was that performance where she comes out, as you said, solo and like beyond the friendship places are these like wearable tech that are handed out at the show that turns the entire audience red in that moment, you know, mm-hmm. surprise, surprise. And that happens with just her alone on the stage. And I was just really blown away by the stagecraft of like the transitions of these eras because it's not chronological and it's not by album, but the way that it happens that she does the like folklore cottage set and and then it disappears and then she comes back to do a couple of like solo things she performed part of evermore you know just on the piano by herself and i think that these kinds of like shifts being done so seamlessly and so compellingly and she's inhabiting all of those eras as per the title and i think that all too well performance i think what i recall came right in the middle as the sort of centerpiece feeling and it was just really an amazing moment that kind of also grounded you and like you are in the middle of something amazing and then i don't know but snakes or something must have appeared right <laughs> afterward but like but it was it was a pretty like remarkable like whirling around and and so well done in, in like a sequencing way well i think you you hit on an interesting point about the concert experience which is 50,000 people singing in unison is incredibly moving <laughs> and it and sort of inherently mm. uh, on key um one person <laughs> singing along yeah. is jarring and, and <laughs> potentially ruinous. The way she locks into everyone in that in that stadium is It's her superpower. Yeah. It's incredible. Like I felt like everyone was having a personal experience with her and an audience with her. And that's very different from even I would say the Renaissance tour, which is a bit like having an audience with a with a sort of deity that has landed <laughs> in a spaceship and then like you may get like, you know, sucked into the spaceship, but like it's a very different feeling than this kind of like extremely personal sense that she creates with everyone. It yeah. was that's crazy to do in a stadium. I don't even know how that's done. <laughs> the Eras tour is like seeing your best friend married. Yeah. Like, you may not get a lot of individual time with her, but you're just there to witness something so you're beautiful there. in her life, and it's incredibly yeah. moving, and you're like, oh my God, she made it. This is great. Yeah. Right. And it's so fascinating with Taylor Swift, because obviously, people have had parasocial relationships with singer-songwriters since before we knew to call them parasocial relationships. What I think is shocking or unique about Swift is how she can make the size of her audience still feel like it is not a parasocial relationship. No. Like there is a friendship there. It's like we know each other. We care about Mm -hmm. each other. We care about the same things. Your victories are my victories and vice versa. 100%. But it is so, so cool just to get to see what that looks like live. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The one I hoped most for that I was almost certain I would hear and I did was Long Live. I'm so (laughs) jealous. Like Long Live is... It's either one of or her like favorite song of her catalog. And to see her perform it live is really special because it embodies that somehow at the worst of times, it was sort of like the biggest sort of thing you could wield against her. But in the best of times, it's like something that endears her to you to her so much as like somehow Taylor Swift manages to maintain the energy of an underdog even in the middle of the most profitable tour, perhaps of all time. (laughs) And that used to feel like something that could be leveraged for like sympathy, but now it feels more, I think, consistently like something where it is a point of connectivity between her and her fans and that sense of what Margaret was saying of like, I don't just know you, you know me. And when you hear her sing Long Live, she puts this special emphasis on the like, all the mountains we moved. I've had the time of my life fighting dragons with you. And when she says you, she's saying it to every single individual in that stadium personally. Such a good line. (laughs) 
And she always ends that song with a little bit of like a moved like gesture to the crowd. Like, wow, like we did move mountains and there's just something deeply emotional. And it's like to see that and hear the tens of thousands. It was like this is the Swift experience to me condensed into a single song. I do want to say one thing, though, about the idea of like the you component, which is the you as consumer part of this, too, in the reasons (laughs) of like how much all of us have paid to be the you in that room or (laughs) the efforts that we had to make, because I definitely find myself thinking about how expensive both of these stadium tours that we've discussed today or just concerts mm-hmm. in general have just gotten. And like, I think I've actually felt recently in going to certain shows that it's like a lot of things make me feel like they're not worth it and I wasted my money or like, <laughs> was this really worth the effort? And these being some of the most expensive tickets people I paid for, I haven't heard a single person, you know, echo any of that regret. And I think that is what's really remarkable is that the show being as big as it is and covering so much ground and offering something for everyone and there's so many on-ramps to the show, like, it also really feels like you get your money's worth. Uh, But I do think that, you know, the fact of, like, it being more than three hours, like, almost three and a half hours, I think, and, and feeling like it covers so much and you, the you, get everybody has something that they take away from it. So I think that, you know, that felt like wow, how many shows happen where somebody doesn't give you what you paid your yeah. ticket for? The fact of it, of of the cost value element is like pretty significant here. Yeah, and I don't want to, I don't want to uh, uh, defend exorbitantly high concert ticket prices, but like nobody really talks about how much like sports <laughs> fans pay to see like big games. If you pay a thousand dollars to see your team lose, <laughs> it can be a completely miserable experience. And I'm sorry, like if you're paying a thousand dollars or however many, <laughs> God knows how many dollars to see Taylor Swift live, she's at least gonna win the game. And what I would also say is just in terms of fan participation, it's like uh, May 19th is when I saw Taylor Swift at Foxborough, and then I followed. Everything that happened to her tour. So it's like, you know, like I know that in Philadelphia, in the middle of bad blood, she like stopped to like chastise a security guard who was like hassling a fan and was like, no, she's fine. And then I know at the next night of the Philadelphia show that people were making little bracelets, initials for what she said in the middle of that break in bad blood. Because there were all these people recording things on TikTok, the algorithm figures out real quick that it can just keep throwing Taylor content at you. And they were all, it was all gold. So even though I didn't get to see all the later concerts, you got to experience so much more of it than I've ever been able to experience of a similarly exclusive live event situation before. I guess what I just feel like listening to all of this makes me think about is like, what happens to concerts next? I mean, is the, if this is sort of the new, like, if that is what, sort of becomes not only the gold standard, but she's like just just changed the game in such a huge way with this tour. And obviously, like it's making records already. Like, you know, not everyone can also pull off a, t- a show like this, but I'm sure we're going to have a lot of like attempts to do similarly, like way too big, you know, like Mar- Marvel movie style yeah. versions of certain t- people who shouldn't be doing tours like that. But it's like, are, are we all spoiled now from yeah. the shows? I don't know. Because I, I went to a Sigur Ross concert this week and it was like, I mean, I'm not trying to compare these two at all, but it was, I was definitely ready to go to bed like within the, after the first half of, of that show. And I'm like, am I spoiled now? Have I, do I, am I too much in need of like a major rush? Anyway, yeah. not 
not again they're not comparable at all but they were very different experiences I, I'm, I'm imagining a beyonce versus taylor swift like arms race <laughs> um her live arrangements of her music are actually phenomenal uh, and she does mm. such a good job at giving you what you know with just enough of what's different to make it feel like a fresh experience especially with her back catalog she does an excellent job of arranging her archive for live stuff you just sent me down a rabbit <laughs> hole jordan because that is my favorite taylor swift song <laughs> <laughs> One small thing that was a special moment in the LA first night was that she, I, th- I think it's in every show, she gives her hat to somebody in the audience. She gives her 22 hat away. Thank you for the <laughs> specificity. But in the LA um, first night, she gave that to Kobe Bryant's daughter who was in the audience. And I think that for LA was like this, you know, one of those like very special oh moments. And I, and I think people feel like each show has a special thing that happens. And that was one of those special things in LA. Yeah. So we have barely scratched the surface. We didn't even get to talk about the surprise songs. <laughs> Jordan and I didn't even get to talk about all of the ways the shows are gay. It's shocking. Yeah, I, I didn't even say <laughs> Kaler till right now. I know. Now. Thank God we've got it in now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Follow the breadcrumbs. <laughs> all right. Well, we want to know what you think about Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. Last I checked, people had opinions. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Margaret Willison, Bilal Qureshi, Jordan Cruciola, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was really great to be here. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet, want to show your support and listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and edited by Mike Katzif and Jessica Reedy. Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Lisa. When you buy a Lisa mattress, you're not the only one getting a better night's rest. Lisa donates thousands of mattresses each year to shelters and those in need. Learn more about Lisa at leesa.com. In need of a good read or just want to keep up with the books everyone's talking about, NPR's Book of the Day podcast gives you today's very best writing in a pocket-sized show. Whether you're looking to engage with the big questions of our times or temporarily escape from them, we've got an author who'll speak to you. Catch today's great books in 15 minutes or less on the Book of the Day podcast only from NPR.